Good morning. Welcome to the Sativa segment, episode eight. My name is Richard Chang. I am the host of the Sativa segment. Um, before we get started, I'd like to let everybody know that this episode is fueled by Dads at Peace, a local men's resource center based in Dallas, Texas. Um, today, we have a very um, wonderful guest that's taking the Texas um, lobbying market by storm. Uh, her name is Julie Oliver. Welcome, Julie. Oh, thank you, Richard. I don't know if I'm taking it by storm, but you know, city by city. We're no, I've heard a lot about change. you. We're gonna say we're gonna call it. You're taking the state by storm in, in, in the political game. Um, how are you doing this morning? Well, I'm doing all right. You know, as as we filmed this, we just came out of our you know second. It's not really a snowpocalypse this time, but you know, yeah. three days of freezing weather and ice freezing roads. Yeah, I mean, people don't don't get it. We're not used to driving on ice. We don't have chains right. on our tires, so um, lots of uh, cars that were off the roadway or smashed into like you know uh, the barriers that are supposed to keep us on the highway on my drive up here. So it was a little disconcerting. And in Austin, because I think we have much more temperate uh, temperatures than North Texas. Uh, many of our trees just fell in this. They, you know, got encased in ice and just, it looks like a tree cemetery in Austin, like limbs down, trees down everywhere. In fact, our, one of our limbs fell on our next door neighbor's car. Oh, no, that's um, not good. So, so but um, we all survived. We're good. You know. Good. Well, I'm glad you survived your drive. It was, yeah. uh, thank you for making the drive yeah. from Austin. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit unusual to have this, this kind of weather like this. Um, so tell me a little bit about you. Right. Um, my understanding, and we've had some brief discussions, we haven't known each other too long, but, uh, my understanding is by trade, um, you're, you went to law school, mm -hmm. you're from Arlington. So you're from the DFW area. I am not and, from Arlington proper, but yeah, I can get into that. Okay. Yeah. So t t tell me about, t tell me a little bit about how you grew up and yeah. how, what led you to go to law school. So I grew up actually born and raised in South Oak Cliff, um, the okay. south part of Dallas. Uh, when I was in uh, fifth grade, finishing up my fifth grade year, my parents had split up when I was really young. And we used to go spend our Saturdays with my dad. And my mom, um, I guess, was out running errands. I don't know. But our dog was alone in the house. Somebody robbed our house and somebody shot our dog. So my mom mm. decided we're not staying here anymore. We're going to move to the country where it's peaceful and quiet. So we moved out, to, and our, our dog survived, surprisingly. Um, they went for the heart, for sure, because she got shot in the left shoulder. Um, but after emergency surgery... Wow, that's, a, that's, one, that's one heck of a fighter of a dog. She was amazing. And she got shot, was, and she survived? She got shot, and she survived. Her name was Cuckoo, because she was a little crazy. But um, she was an amazing Maybe it was the dog. craziness that kept her alive. Yeah, but it didn't, it didn't go through. It got lodged inside of her. They, the veterinarian um, got it out, stitched her up, and... Okay. You know, but she became a country dog after that and kind of roamed the neighborhood of Ovella. Uh, I think our, our little neighborhood was called Brookwood or something. And she just roamed the streets free because <laughs> there are no leash laws out there. Okay. Um, so you went from city to, to country yep. and you grew up out in a more of a rural environment. Yeah. Okay. Although I'm definitely more of a city mouse than a country mouse. That's for sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so, um, you know... Maybe got a little too bored in the country life. Ended mm -hmm. up my senior year of high school, um, dropping out of high school, running away from home with my boyfriend, Todd, and um, thinking, oh, I'm going to make this amazing life with him, you know, at the age of 17 when you know everything, right? Sure. Well, I got pregnant. And so those plans quickly shifted and I went back home. Thankfully, my mom took me back in and she's like, I'll do whatever I can to help you. You need to go back to school. So I went back to uh, my senior year as a, high, a pregnant teenager. And I knew, I just knew, I mean, I was a Medicaid mom. Um, you know, I had to get uh, assistance for like formula and diapers. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I didn't want to raise my child in poverty. And we, were, we lived in poverty. So I, I applied to a community college and started taking some community college classes. Then I was like, I'm never going to get through this. I need to go to school full time. So I applied to UT Arlington. Um, I got tons of... Uh, Grants and scholarships paid my entire. I for folks who are paying their taxes in the early '90s, I want to say thank you. You paid for my college education, and um, I, I'd like to think that maybe I've repaid it a little bit. I went on to law school, uh, UT Law School. Came out thought I was going to be a tax attorney. Um, got hired by 
no offense to all the tax yeah. attorneys out there, but somebody has to do that. Somebody work. has to do it. And I'm really I glad love it's it. not me. Oh my God. I, okay. So I always say tax law is the area of law that you know that a lot of people scam in. I mean, you know, you have attorneys who try to, um, get you out of the trouble that you might get in or think of ways to avoid paying taxes. Right. But I always said it's the one area of law that operates as a carrot and a stick because you can incentivize behavior through the tax code, and you can also it can also be very penalizing through the tax code. Whereas most laws, if you don't follow the law, there's a penalty, right? But there's not really an incentive necessarily, like a, a bright, shiny object if you actually follow the law. It's just like you're following the law. If you don't, you get in trouble. The tax code can operate as both. Um, so I've always been fascinated by that. But five years into my career, I got hired by a hospital, large hospital chain, chain in Austin. Were you Austin. in private practice? Um, I was briefly. I started out at a firm. Um, oddly enough, when I was in law school, Ernst yeah. & Young, which is a large accounting firm, yeah. was hiring attorneys for its national practice group in I D.C. I think they still do. Um, I'm pretty sure that Deloitte has like a team yeah. of tax people, right? That's right. Um, in fact, I was at a firm one time where uh, we were considering hiring somebody from Deloitte, and I got to help interview her and everything. And um, I have another colleague of mine. He actually started his career at KPMG yep. and later on ended up at a law firm. Yeah. So, so it's, um, you know, it's been an avenue. Um, I think it was relatively new when I graduated law school in 98 yeah. for having uh, accounting firms going into law uh, mm -hmm. schools to recruit because you couldn't technically practice law under the state definition. I'm not going to bore people about it. Uh, all that to say is I spent 16 years in healthcare finance after that. I had an, uh, excuse me, I had an accounting undergrad went to law school for tax. So uh, the CFO of this hospital uh, firm or co company said, hey, can you review contracts for the financial implications? Mm. And I said, sure. And I swear, every time I told somebody what I did, it would like put them to sleep. Like it was a good thing if somebody was tired, like let me talk to you about healthcare finance and how we do it in America. And they just nod off. Um, did, did I ever tell you that I, I came out of the healthcare world? I think we talked yeah. about this. Did you really? Yeah. So I actually, ha I fell into the cannabis world through the healthcare side. So for 17 years now, I've been a healthcare attorney. Did not know that. Yeah. I guess we never talked yeah. about that. So no. I actually started off my career as an occupational therapist for wow. four years. Yeah. So yeah. I was a therapist for four years and then, and then I went to law school in 03 and got out in 06 from 06 through today. Yeah. I've always done um, healthcare regulatory and corporate transactions. And then I didn't really fall into cannabis until 2013. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's where we picked up when you and I spoke the first time. Yeah. We picked up on that. Right. Um, yeah. You started getting calls from around the, the country. Yeah, had... so I actually fell into the industry yeah. through the healthcare side. So I, I didn't know yeah. about your healthcare finance background, so I'm already learning something new about you. So. Yeah, I, I mean, Texas, as we all know, is, is the worst of the worst when it comes to healthcare. We have the most uninsured adults, the most uninsured children. You know, our property taxes um, through the county taxes try to shore up hospitals. They can't make it completely. Um, our federal income tax dollars go to other states that expanded Medicaid. And mm -hmm. if you're lucky enough to have insurance, private insurance, and I tell people this because I was on the side negotiating, our, our mm -hmm. hospital would negotiate with insurance companies. We were trying to push off as much of what we call uncompensated care or folks who don't have insurance who come mm -hmm. through our hospitals as much of that cost off to private insurance companies who then turn around and spit it out in a plan to an employer who shares it with their employees. So we're getting kicked three different ways in Texas when mm -hmm. it comes to healthcare and paying for it because we don't have universal healthcare. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about somebody who goes in, uh, who could like, I don't know, they have um, cardiac issue. They could see a cardiologist once a year, get on their medication, or they've got diabetes, very manageable with a doctor and insulin. Um, if they don't have that, they end up in an ER. You're talking about a $250,000 bill if somebody's uninsured and has a cardiac event or a diabetic event. And so we could pay for things in a much more cost-effective way and actually save lives um, if we had a universal health care. So that, that's what made me ultimately want to run for Congress. And I thought if I just explain how we finance health care, especially in Texas, people will understand. They'll see the light and say, oh, yeah, we need to. This is a good thing. Nobody can afford um, a hundred thousand dollar bill. I mean, most mm -hmm. of us can't, I mean, there might be 1% of the population who can afford that sort of bill. But if any of us, myself included, who has a child who has a lot of healthcare issues, he's got cardiac issues. He was born with, he developed a, an immune deficiency in high school. Um, it would have, it would have bankrupted our family if we didn't have insurance. And there are, well, as we know, 
uh, almost a million families who have children who don't have insurance. Yeah. And the kid falls down and gets hurt. Where do you go? Yeah, the Medicaid program in Texas, it, um, the coverage on that is not great. Yeah. Um, so most... I, I think in the most recent survey, I think I read that we're ranked 35th or 36th in, in America for the worst health care. Yeah. Out of all, all 50 yeah. states, right? I mean, there right. are certainly states that are worse, but... Um, let's transition over to yeah. ground game, yeah. but because, um, you, so you spent a couple of years in private practice, you went to, uh, more of a healthcare finance, uh, corporate setting. Yep. After that, did you run for Congress first or did you I ran for Congress first? You Two ran times. for Congress first twice. Yeah. And it was just to be clear, this is Texas Congress, right? No, the U S Congress, the U S Congress. Yeah. In Texas, oh. it was Texas 25, which was. One of the gerrymandered districts that radiated out of Austin. My okay. district went from Wimberley, which is south of Austin, through Austin, up to... Um, I love Wimberley. That's where... Um, Wimberley's beautiful. That's where... Oh, it's um, so beautiful. Gosh, what is it? Uh, um, the Blue Hole? Blue Hole. Yeah. Yeah, Blue Hole. And also there's a... There's a is it Jackson's Hole? Or no, it's, um, it's the pit that you jump into the water. There's a... I'll think of it yeah. later. But what, uh, Blue Hole's so there. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I love Wimberley, um, but the district went from Wimberley, which is still about an hour south of Austin, up to uh, Tarrant County, Burleson, which creeps into Tarrant County. Um, so I had 13 counties, traveled them over four years, lost both times. Um, and, you know, a lot of candidates, when they lose an election, they just kind of, well, I'll go back to my old life. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had had like these blinders ripped off of me and like, I can't go back to the old way of doing things. Right. I don't, I can't even go back to for-profit healthcare because I know so many people are, are really, really hurting or their kids are hurting. And I can't, I can't um, profit from this, which I did mm -hmm. in the 16 years that I was there. And don't even get me started on, on what we used to say. If you really wanted to make big money, you'd go to our corporate uh, office in Nashville. If you wanted to buy yourself a private island, they'd say, go to Nashville. Right. So that meant take a job in Nashville because you'd be set for life. You'd become a, an instant millionaire. Mm -hmm. And the lifestyle would afford you the ability to buy a private island off of people who can't afford a heart attack. So, um, now, did you run as an independent Democrat? No, I ran as a Democrat. Okay. As a, as a Democrat. And healthcare was, again, my um, healthcare was the main issue I ran on because I felt so, so deeply and I knew so much about it. Uh, and this is really mind blowing. Yeah. I had no idea that this, the, the, the healthcare connection with you. Yeah. So I'm like, all so, these different thoughts are running through my head because I've been in healthcare since 99. Yeah. And so, so cannabis is a huge, could be a huge part of this healthcare conversation if our state leaders and our federal leaders would open up that door and allow us to really, um, one, regulate it, study it, uh, use it um, to treat different conditions. And so I fell into this kind of accidentally as you did. After I ran for office, I decided I have to stay in this. I have to stay engaged. So I started looking at, you know, kind of what happened in 2020. Texas was supposed to be this blue wave right. that none of us were part of uh, who ran. And um, I looked at uh, a slide that was put out by this uh, national data analytics company. And it was a slide that compared how Biden did to statewide ballot initiatives. That means mm. citizens in a state can go to the ballot and as they're voting for Biden, they can also vote for an issue. And there were there was a theme. Um, these issues outperformed Biden everywhere in 2020. Uh, many of them even outperformed Trump in certain states. And you had things like obviously uh, marijuana legalization. You had Medicaid expansion. You had uh, uh, in Nebraska they reformed payday lending and payday lending reform, which is the most predatory form of lending there is out there. One in Nebraska with 82% of the vote. And so I was like, these are really popular, progressive, working class issues. Mm -hmm. Let's do that in Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, my, my, I always say my partner in crime, uh, who also ran for Congress in a district that spread from Austin to Houston. This is Mike. Mike, Mike Siegel. Okay. He said, well, we can't do that in Texas. You know, we don't have the ability to have a citizen-led ballot initiative like Florida has. Florida, uh, you know, in 2018, uh, reinstituted the voting rights of the formerly incarcerated. They passed a $15 minimum wage in 2020. Uh, Missouri expanded Medicaid through uh, the ballot initiative. So people went out and voted for this. 
And I thought we need to do that here. So just to be clear, we do have ballot initiatives here in Texas. We do. And how does that work in comparison to other states? So if we wanted to do a statewide one, we can't as right. citizens. Only, only our legislature can um, put a statewide ballot initiative on. So every other November, if you vote in an odd year, like November 2023 this year, mm -hmm. there will be a statewide constitutional amendment um, ballot initiative that is put forth by the state ledge. So they are the only ones that can do a statewide ballot initiative. I wish they would reform the laws or amend the laws so that we as citizens could collect signatures around the state and actually have direct democracy and have a voice in, in the policies that govern us. So if we can't do it that way, the only way to do it is through cities. And it has to be what is called a home rule charter city. That means under the Texas Constitution, the city has incorporated as a home rule city. Um, that has the power of the initiative. So I can go into a city, my own, we started in Austin, um, with a team of dozens of people we go out and we collect signatures. And in Austin, we collected signatures to decriminalize uh, cannabis and to ban no-knock warrants. And so we get a lot of questions, well, what does decriminalized mean? Does right. that legalize it? It doesn't. Legalization still has to come from the state. That's right. Decriminalized means that as a priority for your city, you're not going to have your police department hand out citations or arrests for misdemeanor possession. And so we took that model that we cultivated. And actually, I will say we were inspired by not only that, that slide that I saw that this data analytics firm put out, APD had already incorporated this into their training manual. APD, before we ever did this as a ballot initiative, put in their training manual that they will not cite or arrest people for misdemeanor marijuana possession. And so we took kind of the language from their um, training manual put it into a city ordinance and codified it so that it didn't matter if the police chief changed and you had a police chief who said, no, we're going to start handing out citations again for, you know, class B misdemeanors. You would have it as an ordinance or a law in your city that police weren't going to do that anymore. So just to clarify, when you're getting these um, municipal or city ordinance signatures, right? How, do, you, do, you, do you pass that on to uh, like a city council for them to codify it? We do. Okay. And sometimes they will, and sometimes they won't. Most cities, they have not. They, they push it off to the vote. They have a, a duty under their law, under the city charter, that if they don't adopt the signatures as law or the petition language as law, they have to push it on to the next general election. Okay. So how does, but that's at the municipal level. Mm -hmm. How does the... Um, the state ballot initiative, who initiates the, you said that it, it's initiated by the ledge, yeah. but who actually does it and how is that process initiated? It's actually done by state legislatures and it has to be voted on, I believe, by three-fifths of the House and three-fifths okay. of the Senate to go on to the um, ballot where you and I get to vote on it in a very low turnout election because most, I would say most people in Texas don't know that we have a November odd year election. Um but we do. We actually, in Texas, we have elections every six months, and it can be for a municipality. In May of this year, many cities around the state will have elections for their city council members. Mm. And in November of odd years, that's when we do our con Texas constitutional amendments. So we have elections every six months in Texas, and it's it is a, lot a of gift. Voting. <laughs> it's a lot of voting. It's not. If you think it's only twice a year. And yeah. if you have a runoff, maybe three times a year. But it's it's not, and it's such a gift. I hope, I hope the listeners... Y'all who are listening or watching this know what a gift it is to actually be able to count. And it's not an imposition because so few people vote that you're there maybe. You probably spend more time getting out of your car and walking in than you actually do voting. Yeah. And when I say it's a lot, meaning um, I don't think the opportunities to voice your, voice your thoughts or voice your vote is a lot. I think what happens is you see a lot of signs for campaigns. Yeah. And it seems like it's always up. Right. And so there's only so many That's hours in a day, true. right? Yeah. And you, as you're driving down the road, you're seeing these signs. It's like, huh, I didn't know there was, there was still another election, another yeah. election. But to your point, I mean, we really are only, only voting twice a year. Yeah. And so it's really only twice a year that we get to voice our thoughts and voice yeah. our desires, right? Um, and to your point, I think, I, I, even for myself, I didn't know that we had really as, um, that there was a November vote on odd years. I actually didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So. It's typically about 3% mm -hmm. 
of registered voters, mm-hmm. that would be a good year, um, show up to vote. In yeah, that. that's, and that's a very minor it, number. I have to tell you, I mean, <laughs> you know, I've had people, you know, in November of 2021, we probably, I can't remember if there were like 10 constitutional amendments. And these are things that amend our Texas constitution. So it is literally the law of the land. The state ledge cannot come in and do a law that would uh, supersede it because mm-hmm. it's part embedded into our constitution. And I'll give you an example. And most people freak out. They freak the heck out when you say income tax. But in November 2021, we voted as citizens on a constitutional amendment to make sure that we would never have a state income tax, which means everybody pays a wealth tax every year in property taxes. A wealth tax is the value of your home. And if you were a renter, your landlord is paying that that wealth tax on the value of the property. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Landlords are not benevolent. They pass that along to the renter. So renters are paying property taxes. Homeowners are paying property taxes. It's an annual wealth tax that is there regardless of whether you have income or you don't. And I was really surprised that the 65 and older crowd you know, the folks who are retired, who have a very fixed income, voted to make sure that we didn't have an income tax. Because if you're 65 and older, you're going to pay a wealth tax either through your rent or your mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, not even your mortgage, because you could have your house pay off. You're still going to write that check to the county every year. But if That's you right. are 65 and older and on a fixed income, you may have no proper, you may have no income tax. In Texas, you are now assured of paying a wealth tax for the remainder of your days in Texas. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about ground game. How did you yeah. start ground game? So I looked at that slide and I said, Mike, can we do this here in Texas? And he goes, no. And so I thought the wind kind of came out of my sails for a little bit. And he goes, except for at the city level. Did you and come up with a name? Mike and I actually came up with it together. And it was really weird because we were both thinking of like, we want something that's, you know, um, very organic sounding or like, you know, um, grassroots organizing, you know, without using the word grassroots. And we also, and I know I've used the word grassroots with you as we were discussing, as we were um, talking about you coming on. Um, but you used a term that was, uh, I had never, I guess I'm not really as familiar with you used the term grassroots change. Yeah. So tell me about, does that tie into your mission statement or how did you come up with the concept of, well, we're going to use a grassroots approach, but it's really the purpose to initiate change. Yeah. Well, I will say that because Mike and I ran these very scrappy congressional campaigns in districts that were not favored to have a Democrat win, the only thing that we could do is grassroots organizing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I I always tell people he shaved, I think, 15 points off his Republicans lead when he ran in 2018. I shaved um, 12 points off my Republicans lead uh, when we ran. So we literally got out there and talked to people. So when I think about grassroots organizing, it is having those conversations, those very intentional conversations that are person to person. And I'm looking you in the eye saying, this is what I believe. Do you believe it too? And if you do, hey, can you join my hand? Can you grab my hand and let's go do this together? And then you talk to somebody and you grab. So it's like we're linking hands and making change. Well, what if they said, no, that's something I totally don't believe in. How do you, do you try to um, educate them on what, you, what, what your thoughts are? Or do you just say, hey, um, maybe it, you're not the right person for us to link up together? It depends on the person, quite okay. honestly. Because some people are receptive to hearing you out. Yep. And, and in those moments, I think, some of the most beautiful conversations can be had where you think, I'm never going to, you know, agree with this crazy redhead who's standing in front of me. She's a nut job. And you have this beautiful conversation about something. Or, I mean, I know I have been misinformed and misguided, especially on marijuana growing up. You know, I believed in the whole kind of reefer madness because my mom was of an era like, don't you dare smoke marijuana, I'll make you go crazy. Right. And what we've learned is that you know, in this, in the countries that actually have legal, legal cannabis, nothing could be further from the truth. Right. And we haven't even really gotten to study it here. Our scientists haven't gotten to dive in and really study it. They're studying other people's studies because it's not legal here in the United States. So I would say that even my own viewpoints on cannabis, um, have done a complete 180 in, you know, the last 15 years or so. Did you hear about the federal bill that was recently filed about descheduling yeah. marijuana to, from a one to a three? And if, for the sole purposes of, uh, well, not the sole purpose, but one of the primary purposes is for research. Yeah. Did you hear about that? Yes, I did. And I think that's, I mean, 
Personally, I think marijuana should be descheduled. End of story. Sure. Um, alcohol is far more harmful than cannabis is. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to dismiss. You know, everybody always wants to point to, like, haven't you seen that one report that says there could be a causal link between this and schizophrenia? And there are scientists, very reputable scientists, said, well, we can't even really study that. We don't know if somebody had a predisposition to schizophrenia that was genetic, because most markers for schizophrenia are genetic. They aren't some sort of external agent comes in and makes you suddenly um, schizophrenic. It's a, it's a genetic predisposition. And that maybe cannabis hastened mm-hmm. the, um, the symptoms of, of schizophrenia. But it certainly, we haven't even really been able to study, is there really a causal link here? Are you familiar with the Victor Licata story uh-uh. with the agoraphiles? Like I'm not. way back in the day when Harry Anslinger, he, he was uh, in charge of the uh, Bureau of Narcotics, and then his, his role changed because, um, well, because um, alcohol's legal status changed. So there was this individual who um, apparently murdered his entire family. Um, his name is Victor Licata. And I think the message was um, he he did that because he murdered his entire family because of cannabis, because he he smoked up, right? And it wasn't until later on that they did uh, autopsies on the people he killed, or autopsy on him, and it turned out that he had schizophrenia that nobody ever talked about. Yeah. It just it just reminded me of, of that when you mentioned schizophrenia, yeah. that um, it's a mischaracterization of what the truth really is. Um, Tell me about ground game and how it's it's connected to cannabis because you we've talked about right. uh, politics we've talked about your your efforts with Congress we've talked about um, grassroots but why why is ground game dedicated towards cannabis? Well, cannabis is very very popular. I mean, it really is the legalization or the decriminalization or the deschedulization of cannabis is an incredibly popular issue that the majority of Americans agree upon. And in fact, the majority of Texans agree that we should have legalized uh, marijuana. The majority of Republicans believe cannabis should be legalized in our state. And that can range from, you know, medical marijuana all the way up to full rec, right? So we found that this is a fabulous tool to get people also out to vote. So you can kill two birds with one stone. We know, again, that at the state level and at the federal level, you, you know, we vote to elect people, hopefully have they have our best interests at heart. Frequently, they don't. They either have their, what I call their base, which is yeah. the people who elect them in a primary, or they have their donors' interests at heart. And don't get me wrong, money is a big player in politics. I think that goes without saying. Um, it's a very, very, very potent um, enticement for somebody running for office if you could get some easy cash to fund your campaign. And then you, you got to pay your dues after you receive that cash, right? So... If our state legislators and our federal legislators aren't willing to have the courage to actually legalize this, let's do it at the city level. Mm-hmm. And and what we have found is that it is very popular. We haven't lost an election on marijuana decrim yet. We've we've had it in six cities, Austin in May of last year. Um, this past and this November. goes back to the whole ballot initiative. Ballot initiative. So I just want everybody to yeah, hear so out there I, that. Yeah. Why don't I explain what the what is a ballot initiative and what does it look like and yeah. you know. Um, again, it's only a, what's called a home rule city. So you have to have a city charter that allows for the pa- uh, power of the ballot initiative. So if you Google, you know, let's say Colleen City Charter, you'll find something that's a long document. And if we, within that document, you, you know, you do a search, uh, search and find for initiative. If the city has the power of the initiative, that's your guideline. So it tells you you have to collect so many signatures of mm-hmm. registered voters of that city. So if I live in Austin and I travel to Colleen, I can't sign that signature uh, for the Colleen folks. I can only sign it for the Austin folks because that's where I'm registered to vote. Mm -hmm. And every city charter is different. So, you know, you might have um, a requirement of, let's say, 5% of your registered voters or 15% who voted in the last mayoral election. I mean, it can change literally city to city. Well, then that takes some calculation, right? Because yeah. then you're like, okay, well, how many people voted? Then you take that number, you multiply it by 0.15, yeah. and you're like, okay, well, I need 300 yeah. signatures or whatever it right. is. Um, how do you actually get the signatures? Do you actually send it out via email blast or do you go knock on the door? No. So what we in any city in which we've worked, we realized that we can't come in helicopter into a town and say, hey, y'all need this. Mm-hmm. So we talk to people 
the connections that we've made typically in these cities from our congressional uh, runs and say, hey, do you think this is something that your city would be interested in? And if so, would you be interested in partnering with us to lead this initiative? And so far, nobody said no yet. Um, everybody said, yes, this is incredibly important. We, you know, in November, we got the marijuana decrim initiatives passed in Colleen and Harker Heights. Those are two cities that sit outside of the largest military installation yep. in the world. It's not just Texas, in the world. It's an army post, um, now known as Fort Cavazos, formerly Fort Hood, and both passed with broad, broad support. I think 64% in Harker Heights, 69% I want to see that's how Maine. you and I got connected. I, I read an article, and I reached out to you. Um, it was because of the Colleen story. Yeah. So, and but that happened in Denton as well, in, in Elgin, Denton. right? Yeah, and a tiny little town outside of Austin. Um, we call it Elgin. And I know it has a, a should have a soft G. Is it Elgin? G. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's just Austin mispronounces everything. It's a soft G because it's followed, you know, G followed by I should be J. But we call it Elgin. Um, I'm sure it had to be somebody's name, and that's probably why oh, it's boy. Elgin. But um, a tiny little town, it passed with broad support. Um, college towns, obviously, we did San Marcos and Denton, obviously passed with broad support. It's San Marcos, it passed with 82% of the voters supporting That's it. That's amazing. That's a really high percentage. High percentage. The only city that beat it was Austin. We, we passed it at, I think, 85.5%. I think the average, um, I want to say it was about a 70% approval rating in 2015 when um, Texas passed the Compassionate Use Act. Yeah. It was, but to get up to 82, 85%, that's it's either a reflection of geography or it's a reflection of how times have progressed since then. Oh, right? I think both. I yeah. think both. Um, so we collect these signatures once we feel like we have the right number of registered voters' signatures, and we do, we have to match it to the voter file to make sure that somebody's a registered voter. Um, we turn it into what's called the city clerk, city secretary. Depends, the title change changes depending on the city. And then once the city clerk affirms, oh, yes, they, they needed 350 signatures. They have 350 good signatures of registered voters here. They submit it to uh, city council. And city council has two options at that point. One, adopt it and make it, like, immediately adopt it and make it part of the ordinances of that city. Or two, um, push it to the next general election. Oh, okay. And so we've only had one city adopt one of our ballot initiatives, and that was a $15 minimum wage for city employees. That happened in Alton, Texas. And every other city council has been like, nope, we'll let the voters decide. They think that it's so toxic, but it's not. I mean, it's, again, the lowest approval rate that we've had in any city is 64%. That's the clean one. That's the Harker Heights. Harker Heights. Okay. And it went, has gone up to 85.5%. And... Um, and we're talking about misdemeanor marijuana possession. I didn't write the misdemeanor marijuana laws. That's a state law, um, but that is up to four ounces. So class A, class B misdemeanors. Um, class A misdemeanor is greater than two ounces, uh, up to four ounces. Uh, up to two ounces, class B residue on a substance is a class C misdemeanor. Okay. And tell me, I want to hear some more stories. I yeah. want to hear like some of the pushback you <laughs> yeah. got in your in your efforts with decrim, um, there had to have been some level of arguments or there had to have been some resistance yeah. and some adversarial discussions, right? We, absolutely. Yeah, tell um, me about that. So the, probably the biggest resistance we've been met with is in Harker Heights. Okay. Which and, isn't surprising because that was the lowest approval rate, yeah, right? So, but still 64%. That's, yeah. you know, pretty, that's a super majority. If you, you know, needed a congressional uh, uh, Senate vote on something, that would be a super majority. But um, so it's not like it's small potatoes. 64% is an overwhelming majority of voters who voted for this. But you have a small but very, very vocal group of people who said, but it violates state law. <laughs> and that is literally, I'm doing an impression of the guy who's the loudest. No, I, I appreciate your, yeah. your impression. It yeah. violates state <laughs> law. You can't do it. And um, he's like, it has to be amended by it. The state has to do it, which... By the way, even if the state legalized uh, cannabis, that would still violate federal law. So I don't know why it's okay to violate federal law, but mm -hmm. not state law. But, you know, you're talking about, you know, logic and reason, and this guy clearly does, has neither. Um, so he's been one of the biggest opponents to this. And the city council in Harker Heights, two weeks after the election, repealed our ordinance. So it passed with 64% of the vote. It was repealed. 
we immediately, we only had 20 days to do this. We went out and got uh, signatures for a referendum, meaning we'll repeal your repeal and right. put, prop, we call it Prop A. Prop A is um, the proposition it was when they went and voted for it. We'll put Prop A back on the books. So in those 20 days, um, we collected enough signatures to submit to city council for another vote. So Harker Heights gets to vote on this again. And um, so that they're saying that this violates state law. You can't have any, you know, local law that supersedes or trumps uh, state law. And there are, you know, obviously laws on the books that say, you know, we have class A, class B misdemeanor laws for, for right. marijuana. But the reality is, you know, and this is something that we've put into each one of our, our ordinances as well, that the smell can't be used as probable cause for search because we have a legal substance in Texas called hemp. Yeah, that's a big one, right, mm -hmm. is the fact that a lot of law enforcement agents, that's their, that's one of their biggest complaints, is that how do you tell the difference between this hemp bioproduct? You can't, especially when it's dried and it just looks like just... It smells the right. same and it that's looks right. exactly the same. And we have a legal substance called hemp, the state ledge legalized, and it's it's marijuana. For all, it's cannabis. It's low-potency cannabis, mm -hmm. but it's legal in Texas. So we have this product called hemp legal hemp, we have illegal marijuana, that in and of itself, we shouldn't say, okay, please come and search whatever you want because we have now have this legal pro product. We shouldn't forego our civil liberties and say, yeah, feel free to search my car or my purse or my house or whatever that you feel like searching because we have this legal substance. So that muddied the waters. The state ledge muddied the waters when they legalized hemp. And then secondarily to that, um, Cities shouldn't be forced to what could be, again, a legal substance. Um, they shouldn't be forced to front the legal bills for somebody who is pulled over, has a civil rights violation by law enforcement when they have a legal substance on them, and then they go and sue the city. You know, so you've got a Fourth Amendment violation. Cities get to prioritize where they direct their resources and how they're going to budget th for things. And if this is a risk that a city wants to avoid, they are welcome to, within the Texas Constitution, they are welcome to avoid and mitigate that risk of Fourth Amendment violation because we have this legal substance called hemp um, by not enforcing these laws. So it doesn't violate state law. So let's talk about Prop A. When you put it back on the ballot, what was, um, what was the city council's reaction? Because it's essentially repealing their repeal, right, yeah. as you said. Um, was it more favorable because there is essentially you're getting a second crack at the apple or no? You mean okay. with city council? Yeah. No, no they doubled down. Really? Uh, we had one okay. city council member who, um, and the she, reason I'm she asked... just didn't vote for the repeal the first time. Okay. And she was like, no, the city, the people voted for this. We need to honor their vote. And when it came back before them, when they had the, the chance to basically adopt the repeal of the repeal, they ignored it. Um, she voted to, yeah, we should repeal that. So there was one city, lone city council member out of the five, four city council members voted to repeal it. And then they, when it came back before them, they did not. Take yeah, how did you get it? Then, I mean, it sounds like that was the next route to essentially repeal their repeal. How did you get it passed then? So it's on this May's ballot. Okay. So in, you know, three months, we'll have another crack at the apple, so to speak. So we've only turned in the signatures because this happened in November, right? Yep. The election happened two weeks later. They um, repealed it two weeks after that. We got them the signatures. Mm -hmm. But then it goes on to the next uh, uh, general election, which is May of this year. So as of right now, it's it still hasn't been decriminalized. Correct. They okay. Well, under state law, it should be. Uh, or actually, I should say under their city charter, it should be. Okay. But they are not operating as if it is. Okay. So in a, let me ask it a different way. Yeah. If you were to be in possession in Harker Heights... You could yeah. be you could be cited or if not arrested. Yeah, and if right? and if you were, I would um, encourage your defense attorney to say this has been decriminalized. I would encourage a few things. Don't admit what potency it is, mm -hmm. um, because we have a legal substance, low potency marijuana that is legal in the state of Texas. Um, and unless the city does a potency test or concentration test. They'll do a presumptive test to see if it's marijuana. Mm -hmm. that's, not, um, that's not indicative of whether it's legal hemp or illegal marijuana. It just tests to say, is this marijuana? Yeah. The potency test, the concentration test is a very, very expensive test. That is what I would encourage anybody who's talking to their criminal defense attorney. I would have them say, look, 
This was legal hemp, <laughs> not illegal marijuana. Is this it a is field test, though? Is it what they carry you out? They, that field? is no. The concentration is not. The concentration is test is not. That has to be sent off to a lab. It's okay. incredibly expensive. The field test is just presumptive marijuana. That is not what determines whether it's and legal or illegal. You can have a false, false positive too uh, on those field tests too. I would assume you could, yeah. yeah. But it's not going to test, again, for concentration. And we have a legal substance, low THC substance in Texas called hemp. Mm -hmm. And so um, I would, again, if if I was going to be advising somebody perhaps about this, I would, you know, say you're going to have to do a concentration test, which, by the way, all of our ordinances are written so that the city will not spend money on a, on a concentration test. Mm -hmm. Because, again, they're incredibly expensive. The concentration, not presumptive tests, are very expensive. Cities should be able to prioritize and budget how they're going to budget. And the state is not reimbursing the cities for these very expensive tests. Yeah, and so I'm just thinking out loud here. In order to get the concentration uh, test, that's the more reliable test to, to dictate whether or not you, for, for yeah, conviction purposes. Um, there does leave some room for ambiguity with the presumptive tests where – that's, I wouldn't think that, I mean, and I'm not a criminal defense attorney, but I would think that's not as, um, the, the evidence isn't very reliable. Well, if it's a presumptive, like, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I would argue, but mine was legal hemp. Yeah. So tell me, how is, how is Ground Game Finance? How, how do you guys keep so it going? So we're a nonprofit. We were, actually are a nonprofit. Um, everything that we do, we're a 501c4, which is a tax-exempt organization. Um, we do have a 501c3. And that can't do anything political. It can't do any of this. That's typically what we do out of the, run out of the C3 is as we collect petitions and we notice that people are not registered to vote, we get them registered to vote. We could okay. care less what their political party affiliation is. We're just going to try to help them get registered to vote. And what's the difference between a C4 and C3? C4 in uh, a C3 under IRS guidelines, C3 is where if you write a check to a C3, you get that deduction on your taxes, right? Yep. yep. A C4, you don't get that. Okay. You don't get that deduction on your taxes. And that allows a little more flexibility. So you have, under a C3, you have very, very limited lobbying, what you could do. And technically speaking, even though we're collecting signatures, this is, under IRS guidelines, considered lobbying. Even though we're not going to the state ledge, standing mm -hmm. in front of them saying, please pass a law that blah, blah. This is considered grassroots lobbying. And so um, C4s don't have any limitations on how much they can do. All of their activities could be okay. signature collection and then putting something on the ballot. C3s have very, very strict limitations on what they can and cannot do. Um, you cannot be political at all on the C3 side. You can't mention candidates. Um, mm -hmm. It's just truly get out the vote efforts, letting people know that there is an election. You know, again, there is some benefit to letting people know that, there, hey, there's a May election, and this is what you get to vote for. You can vote for mayor. You can vote for city council members for these places. And this is the ballot initiative. You can't advocate it for or against them. But you can let people know that there is an election so that they go out and vote. They can make their own decisions about who they vote for or what they vote for. The C4 side can has a lot more leeway. Got it. Um, so we rely on the generosity of donors. Is all it, That's a very long way of saying that. Yeah. In short, you accept donations. We do. To keep ground game going. Yeah. Um, so let's shift over a little bit about the industry itself. Yeah. Um, how do you see the industry of cannabis evolving? Um both politically and non-politically, in your opinion? Well, we have now, every state around us has some form of legalization, like either a real medical marijuana program or full recreational. New Mexico just uh, did that recently. Aren't there like three states that doesn't have anything, like Idaho, Kansas, and Nebraska? That would probably be right. There, there are so few states that don't have, although they lump Texas into those. They because, do, depending on who, which source you talk yeah, to, right? It's because our, our compassionate use program, so for folks out there, I'm, I'm sure y'all know what the Texas compassionate use program is, Teacup. It's a sliver of what a real medical marijuana, a real medical cannabis program would be. So you can, it only, um, the state ledge will only allow you to use certain potency, again, low potency marijuana for certain conditions. Epilepsy was the first one to get ratified by our state. And then it went to terminal cancer. Now it's all cancer. Also now PTSD. Again, low potency cannabis can be used to treat PTSD. And I've talked to so many veterans who said, hey, I was in a state where they had a real medical marijuana program. I came back to Texas and your compassionate use program is garbage because it's so low potency. Um, 
Just Which it, it got raised a couple of years ago from what 05 percent to one percent, and yeah, the state was really low. was really boasting about the fact that we did such a great thing by yeah. by increasing it to one percent. It's very very low. Yeah. Um, and you know everybody was like, well, the marijuana people are smoking today is not what we smoked in the seventies. The marijuana of the seventies was typically what about five percent um, THC. I think it's gone up to about twenty per fifteen to twenty percent nowadays if you're smoking flour. And concentrates can be up to like 90% mm -hmm. THC, which is, I mean, you're talking mind-altering stuff. But, um, you know, so this is a sliver of what people were smoking in the 70s. Uh, so uh, our, our teacup program is not a real medical marijuana program. So I want to be really clear about that. We don't have a medical marijuana program. We have what's called teacup. So every state around Texas has some sort of either real medical marijuana or full recreational program. I think... Eventually, if Texas wants to be the beneficiary of the tax revenue from this multi-billion dollar industry, we need to legalize it. And I think the stages for that are full, a real medical marijuana program. I don't think that Dan Patrick is going to wake up someday and say, yeah, we should do full rec. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Do he doesn't even like a real medical marijuana program, but I think his arm could be twisted. I get, I get asked this all the time. When are we going rec? And... Do, what is your opinion on, do you think we're going to go wreck before federal does or vice versa? Oh, it, I think we will, it, it, we will be the last ones going wreck. I, I, if now let me say this with my old campaign hat on, I'm not speaking as a ground game person right now. Right. Um, just as long as Republicans are in office in Texas, we will not have a recreational. I mean, when I say in office, it, as long as Republicans are leading um, and have the seats of lieutenant governor, which is the only seat that brings legislation to the floor uh, in the Texas Senate, is the lieutenant governor. So as long as a Republican sits in the speaker seat and as long as we have a Republican seat, uh, seated as lieutenant governor and as long as we have a Republican governor, we are not going to see recreational. So do you think we would legalize Gauntlet thrown <laughs> down. <laughs> Do you think we're gonna we would we have a higher chance of federal legalization before state legalization? Yeah. Okay, so that's what I've always said is that I don't see Texas legalizing it for rec reasons or adult use. If we were to ever get adult use, it would be because um, it got legalized on the federal level, and yeah. by that nature alone, it got passed down to Texas. That's just my opinion. I always say I could be wrong. In fact, I'm more wrong than I am right many times with these predictions. Um, but that's just my personal. I opinion. think you're right on this one. I think you're right. I think um, I well, stranger things have happened, but I don't think that yep. you know Dan Patrick is suddenly going to you know see the light and be like, yes, we should have adult use. Well, the his, the, his, his, uh, the history doesn't show it. How about no, that? No, the history does yeah. not show it. And I, and I suspect until the cannabis industry starts writing as large a checks as, let's say, historically, the cigarette industry or the mm -hmm. alcohol, the distributors of alcohol have done, or the sheriff's organizations have mm -hmm. done, or the private prison industry has done, um, until the cannabis industry starts doing that, we're not going to probably have that. And and I and I'm glad you said adult use because people are like you just want anybody to do it. No, I don't. Um, there are studies that show that a developing brain, so a, a, an adolescent brain should not use cannabis unless they have epilepsy and it is under the the charge of a doctor. Um, but no, recreational use of an adolescent, I do not advocate for that and I want I want to be really clear, but I also don't advocate for adolescent use of cigarettes or alcohol. Sure. Um you know, but adults should be able to make up their mind about what substances they're going to put in their bodies as long as they are safe to their community. As, meaning that adult, once they take it, aren't, they're not going to go out and do something that's harmful. Um, you know, as, as we have seen with alcohol, when somebody gets behind the wheel of a car. You know what I always find interesting are the retirees at assisted living facilities and nursing homes. Um, some of those people are some of the biggest consumers. Yeah. They're just like, ah, I have, you know, yeah. they're, they're dealing with their pain. Yes. And sometimes they just don't care. They're just like, you know, what are you going to do? Come and arrest me? Well, and, and <laughs> I want to share with the listeners, our compassionate use program does not address pain. And no, it doesn't. So and I in wanna... fact, I had someone ask me that, like, my pain is X. How can I get my hands on uh, teacup? <laughs> like, you can't. You I... better find another qualifying condition to qualify uh, under. Go because, to Colorado or New yeah, Mexico. Or you better tell your 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 physician that you mm -hmm. have PTSD under some form, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, pain is not a covered. And I will tell you, after campaigning for four years, I did hear that was 
I was so shocked the first time I went and talked to a veteran and he said, I said, well, you know, I'm running for Congress. I mean, this is when I was literally door knocking and I, a veteran came out and I'm a veteran and I don't feel like the, in, anybody's ever done anything for me. I said, well, you've got me here on your porch. What can, I, what can I do if I get elected? He goes, I need you to get my disability claims met in a timely fashion. I've been waiting years to have them addressed by the VA. It's like, okay, can do. And he's like, and you need to legalize marijuana. Oh. Two things. And it was, it was, and so I started asking veterans, like, mm -hmm. is this something you're interested in? And yes, oh my God, yes, please, please. So veterans, and you're going to hear the cranky old, you know, white, sorry, no offense to the white folks who actually don't have, who aren't cranky, but um, you will see, and I have encountered a few in this decrim initiative who were cranking like, no veteran wants that. And that is so not true. Veterans that I talked to mm -hmm. have been like, yes, please. And by the way, I was a paratrooper in the army. My back is so jacked up. I have to get um, pain shots every other week. Um, it's either that or surgeries or get addicted to opioids. Wow. Yeah. So like, yes, you, by all means, you stormed. I mean, you paratrooped for our country. You should be able to smoke. Right, right. <laughs> That's right. I'm so sorry. If you're willing to jump out of a plane, you should be able to yeah. smoke to light it up. In a, a war-torn country, you jumped <laughs> out of an airplane. Four, this guy was like, I had 400 missions where I jumped out of an airplane, and my back is jacked. Right. I'm like, yes, you deserve If I can thank a veteran, I will, you know, I always say, if you want to thank a veteran, legalize marijuana. Yeah, right. It's, that's pretty funny. So what's next for Ground Game? Because we're, we, uh, in the interest of time, we do have to wrap it up. But I want you to, if, if you had one or two sentences, sum up what's, what's next for Ground Game in the next year or two. So we're still doing the ballot initiatives across okay. the state. We're going to go city by city. We have um, in San Antonio, we just wrapped up our signature campaign. In, for voters in San Antonio, you get to vote on marijuana decrim, misdemeanor marijuana decrim in May of this year. And it coincides with the city election, so you also get to vote for city council members and mayor. Um, in El Paso, we have a climate change initiative. And in Harker Heights, if you live in Harker Heights, the referendum- which It's coming should, up. It's and coming I, and up. I'm, I wish I'd come up with this term, but I didn't. It was a group called Mono Amiga out of San Marcos. A referendum is coming up oh, in Harker, like Harker Heights. I'm going to steal um, that. Isn't that a good one? <laughs> that uh, is, yeah. They are much more clever than I can ever be, and um, but referendum. That's great. In Harker Heights. But we'll do this. I mean, I want. I would love to come back to Dallas. This is my, my hometown, you right. know. I would love to do this in Dallas or DeSoto or Duncanville. I grew, grew up on the south side of town, so right. my eyes are on the south parts of, of Dallas. This feels like I'm in Oklahoma right now, so... Well, they already have medical for, marijuana. Yeah, no, thank you for all your efforts. I, mm. I, I really, um, you know, appreciate what Ground Game is doing. Uh, I know it has some great causes. Um, I read about you guys about a year ago, but then I didn't really learn more about it until the Harker Heights clean situation. Um, but good stuff. Thank, thank you. you so much for uh, making the time to come on and yeah. to educate me and, and have this valuable discussion. Well, thank you for having me. And if folks have more questions or they want to get involved or they want to know... Like, what cities are you going to go to next? Can you come to mine? Um, they are always welcome to email me. You know, our website's Ground Game Texas, all Great. spelled out, groundgametexas.org. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you. Bye.